Welcome to the Geriatric Journal Club, featuring practical discussions on the front line of PALTC issues that you wrestle with every day. References for this podcast and links to previous recordings can be found at paltc.org slash journal club. Statements made by guests on this podcast are their own opinions and are not necessarily the position of the society. Speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. For a limited time, AMDA's new pocket guide, Parkinson's Disease and Psychosis in the Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Setting, is free when you download the AMDA app. The pocket guide highlights key information needed to recognize, assess, treat, and monitor people with Parkinson's disease in the PALTC setting. It also includes a special focus on Parkinson's disease psychosis. Download the AMDA app to access the new pocket guide today. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. Good afternoon, everyone. It is the top of the hour, and we will start um, with Journal Club. So my name is Dr. Diane Sanders Cepeda. I am hosting today's Journal Club, November 17, 2021. And we have um, a special guest today, um, Susie Jesvold, and I don't know if I said your last name correct, Susie, but we'll we'll um, correct it later in the presentation. Um, today we're going to be talking about nursing home staff perils, and you know I wanted to start as we normally do, just going through um, the state of the state, and then get into a, a really deep conversation with um, Susie about what we're seeing in the nursing home and what we're facing on a day to day and we're going to have time to have an open discussion so everyone's voice if you want to, to share what your experiences are we'll have time for that as well so in looking at just where we're at as you know a country i think um we are we, we are much better than where we were this summer when we first um, started seeing the surge from the Delta um, variant. Um, and looking at our seven-day moving average, we had a we have a positivity rate of 9.9%, with um, the daily confirmed cases still being too high, um, well above um, 90,000 for the, the country. And why that is worrisome is because of this um, map that I'm showing you now. When the CDC is tracking the data. They're um, able to look at the level of community transmission at a county level across um, the country. And we see that where we saw the surge in the Southeast um, over the summer, um, many more places in the Midwest and um, now in the Northeast are having those high um, county transmission rates. And um, if you recall, from some of our prior conversations, what we know to be a fact is that our facilities follow what's happening um, locally. So if we're seeing high transmission rates in and around um, our buildings, we're going to see COVID come in. Um, fortunately, you know, in the state of Florida, many of our um, residents are vaccinated. We still have a challenge when it comes to our staff. And, you know, 
we do know that, as I said before, Florida is doing a lot better than where we were um, in the previous month. So um, in our breakdown of um, our, our weekly report from the Department of Health, our positivity rate in Florida was 2.5%, which is just amazing. That means that, you know, when you're looking at those total cases, we're running on an average somewhere around 10,000 um, new cases. And I think we really need to um, just prepare ourselves because, as I said, what we are seeing in Colorado, now in Nebraska, um, in California, we're seeing some local um, hyper acute um, local outbreaks in buildings and it's starting to see that trend um, in Michigan and now in the Northeast, you know, so we have to be prepared that we may see a resurgence of this come the winter. The problem is, you know, what we are also experiencing is a multitude of challenges when it comes to keeping our facilities um, staffed. Um, we have been monitoring this for, um, I will say, over the last year quite closely, but I wanted to really understand what is happening in our buildings and to have someone speak to what our nurses are seeing on a day-to-day -day, um, basis and how they are um, living um, and, and dealing with this. So I'm going to um, have with me uh, Susie, who is um, Fadana's president, and I'm going to ask Susie to come off mute and introduce herself. And I am going to stop sharing so that she and I can have a real conversation without all the slides in the way. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Susie Jensvold. I work for um, part-time for Consulate Healthcare as a clinical educator uh, in doing different programs. I also um, have been a DON. I've been a regional nurse. Uh, I do consulting work at a facility also in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, so I am in and out of uh, facilities, assisting, educating, um, and, and down in the roots of everything. So um, it's a pleasure to be here today and to share, you know, what we are, what I do see and what, you know, I hear is occurring in the facilities. And Susie, can you tell us a little bit more for um, the FAMDA audience and some of our audience nationally, what does FADANA do? Uh, FADANA is the Florida Organization of the Directors of Nurses for Long-Term Care. Um, we are the Florida group from, for NADANA, which is the National Association. Um, our group is for uh, nurse managers, nurse management, DONs, ADONs, um, you know, unit managers. It is for, um, we do education, we do support. We do have a, a conference in March this year. Um, it's going to be our first in-person conference for two, uh, for two years. Um, you know, it was... Um, not able to be held in person. We did, you know, virtual, um, but we're all excited um, that we're going to be able to, you know, be together. Um, Nadana had their conference in August, and we were up in Niagara Falls, and that brought in people from all over the United States, except for Hawaii. Hawaii has a, um, a chapter, and they did not, um, they were not able to attend this year. 
Um, but um, it was a, you know, a great group. Um, and we learned a lot from each other at that conference also. Thank you. So Susie, I know you and the, the directors of nurses, nurses who are on this call, the administrators, the medical directors, our attendees, we're all feeling um, these stressors. I saw an article where um, a few months ago where it said um, ghost towns, nursing home staff, staffing falls amid pandemic and how it's impacting us even getting admissions into the buildings because our, our we're not staffed. What would you say are the drivers behind the staffing crisis um, that we're, we're currently seeing? And I just want to, I, I want to just raise the issue that when I was doing some research on this um, over the past few months, it's funny that we've always talked about staffing challenges. Um, in, in my lifetime as a physician, we've always, um, we're, we're looking at staffing challenges and it's very important to make sure everybody understands this is so much worse than I think we ever imagined. So just tell it's, us what you're seeing. You know, in the, at a facility level, um, you know, it, it, there we've got burnout, the nurses and CNAs, you know, for a year and a half now have been, you know, work wearing masks and, you know, previously they may have even had to wear um, gowns and masks, you know, and try wearing those all day long. You know, you come into the building, you put, you have a mask on, you have your mask on all day until maybe you can go outside and take it off and take a deep breath. Um, and there, it, it's difficult. It really is difficult that, you know, we don't have enough staff. Um, people are not, you know, they're leaving. I have never seen so many, so much turnover of DONs like I am seeing right now um, in open positions. Um, you know, they're leaving, they're tired. Um, they don't wanna be a DON. Um, our DONs and unit managers are out on the floor being staff. You know, they may be on a med cart. Today, when I walked in here, um, to the facility I'm at, one of the unit managers is on the med cart because they had a call off and they didn't have a replacement. Um, and she's on the med cart. Um, sometimes they have to come in and be CNAs because we don't have enough CNAs. Um, but the burnout, and, and I also, at the beginning of all of this, we saw where um, quite a few people were leaving to go do travel nurse. You know, they were paying, you know, um, the nurses quite a bit of money. Um, they pay for them to go to Texas. They went to California. Um, one of our facilities, we lost the DON. She went to Texas and, uh, you know, was working in a um, COVID unit and she was being paid quite well. Um, she figured if she went and worked for, I think, six weeks, she wasn't going to have to work the rest of the year. Wow. I know there's been some um, you know, dramatic increases <laughs> when it comes to agency nurses. How is that impacting our facilities? Well, you know, some of the nurses have left to go to agencies because they can get paid more money. But, you know, then the agencies have increased their prices and it's kind of a price war. You know, they may have a contract with one building at a certain, you know, rate and then at another one they they may charge more and you know they only have so many nurses too 
And so we try to use, you know, if you need the agency, you call agency, you know, you may get one booked and they, you know, may work, they may call off, you know. Um, we have cert, uh, agency nurses and CNAs. Um, of course, you don't want, you know, we would try not to use them, um, but if you have to, you have to. Do you know of any facilities that had to stop taking admissions because of their staffing challenges? Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I am aware of that and I know that is occurring. Um, yes. You know, we, we can't bring them in, you know, to, to provide, you know, to take care of them. And, and unfortunately, it even if we're admitting, you know, with our staffing challenges, that still is, you know, a concern and, and it is, a, uh, you know, an issue. Um, to make sure that they're getting the proper care and you know um you know you do get the complaints from the residents and from family members and now with visitation you know we're we're dealing with opening back up for visitation mm -hmm. um, and making sure that you know we're doing that correctly yeah let's talk about visitation i know the cms dropped that pretty late <laughs> <laughs> like they like they, they do <laughs> and um you know how do you what do you even do to prepare like if i was the medical director of that facility and, and the the i know my director of nursing we would have all panicked we would have been like what the what you know so how do you prepare for the change that dramatic change because what someone the next day can say well they opened up visitation so now i want to come in exactly exactly and you know, like you you mentioned, they dropped it at um, Friday afternoon, like they always do. That's the best time to drop yes. everything. <laughs> yes, uh, you know. So if you're if you happen to see it before you left your office, you maybe could have printed it off and and read it and reread it and reread it, um, because with those memos, you usually have to read them numerous times to pick apart and to totally understand, you know, the directive. And as usual, it's not. You know, it's it's kind of vague. Um, you know what they have communicated, um, so you have to really you know review it. Um, you need. We sat down um, as a team and reviewed it on Monday and put together you know um, the guidelines that we were going to put in place for the, for our, you know opening up the visitation, and then you know yesterday on Tuesday we you know, started uh, filtering it out and educating the staff and, you know, allowing the visitation. Today, when I came in, there were several visitors already here, you know, coming in, uh, being screened, going and visiting their family member. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So you mentioned staff burnout. Um, and I want to get back to that in a minute, but I want to talk about the vaccine mandates. I was looking at the AARP um, nursing home COVID-19 dashboard, and I, I know that um, you know in Florida, I think uh, what 59% of our staff may be vaccinated. Um, we still rank at the we're 46th in the nation, and it was commenting on the fact that as of um, November 10th, our staff vaccinations were up 5%. But how big of a problem? has that been with keeping staff, you know, with the vaccine mandates? Well, I think staff, some, most staff, I think have kind of been waiting to see exactly, you know, what's going to be, if it's going to be mandated and, and 
probably waiting to the last minute, you know, to make a de determination. Um, and it, 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 we think, we feel that, you know, we're going to have more people take it at the very last minute. We've got a clinic planned um, for the one facility um, for staff and, you know, boosters for the residents. But, um, you know, we're educating, we're doing individual education one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we've got 44% staff that are not vaccinated. Um, and that's a campus-wide, you know, that includes dietary, housekeeping, laundry, you know, um, and frontline staff. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand the uniqueness of um, post-acute long-term care, that when we, when we think of our staff, we have the nurses and, and they are like invaluable, <laughs> like they're amazing. But we also have the dietary staff, that, that nutrition and, and laundry and um, um, custodial. And I, and I don't know, how has it been trying to get them to become vaccinated? Those who may not be on the clinical side of things. It's challenging. Um, like I say, we're, we're really doing one-on-one -on -one education, um, you know, and, and working with them um, to talk with them. Um, and if, you know, if they want to get um, the exception, you know, they, they have to have that completed and turned in. Um, we, I haven't seen any yet, but, you know, I am aware that some people have asked about it. Now, I had a question about the impact that we've seen as far as COVID infecting staff, um, our nurses, our um, other staff members in the building. It hasn't really been talked about enough. And I'm wondering if that's some of the reason why we're losing people too, like maybe they are too sick to come back to work or they just decide to go to, to do something different. Now, have you seen any of that? I haven't seen any of that, no, I, I haven't. Um, you know, I think, you know, as any company or anything, you know, anybody we've had, we've lost staff to COVID, um, you know, and of course that affects, you know, um, the rest of the staff. Um, but I haven't seen where they've been too sick to come back, um, you know, at, at this point. It's not that it's not there, but it, you know, I haven't seen it. So let's talk about that day in the life. And you've mentioned what your what the directors of nursing are happy to do can you go it share with us some more of that and explain to us what what that really means for with a director of nursing who has so many responsibilities is now the cna or the passing meds on the floor or that nurse the unit manager <laughs> what does that mean what, what happens in that day of that life well it, when they come in well, it starts before they even get to the building, you know, the DONs usually have their cell phones, you know, with them at all times and it can ring all night long. Um, but, you know, you're notified that you're, you don't have a nurse, so you're notified, you know, you don't have enough CNAs and, and so you come into work and, and depending on what situation or where you're going to work for the day, you know, the biggest, you know, then you don't have the DON doing her responsibilities you know, directing and leading the department. Um, 
she's out there, you know, working um, on the cart. Um, the unit manager that was on the cart this morning, we were able to get someone else to come in and take the cart, but she also is the wound nurse. So now she's making wound rounds. So she hasn't even, you know, been to her unit because she wasn't on the cart on her unit. She was on the cart on another unit. Um, so, you know, her unit, um, she's going to get there later this afternoon when she gets done with wound rounds. Um, to follow up and to make sure, you know, the residents on her unit, um, you know, have what they need and, and if there's any issues or, or concerns. And a, a director of nurses could work as a DON all day, go home for a couple of hours and get notified that you're down a nurse for 11 to 7 or even at 7 o'clock. You know, there's numerous times that, you know, the DONs and the unit managers probably, you know, have worked um, 16 and maybe almost 24 hours straight during this time. And that's why, you know, that really leads to the burnout and, you know, being tired and, and you know, um, not able to take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are, we're trying to address burnout at so many levels and I don't, I don't know how you become the everything to a building and not become burned out. I just don't understand that. Um, and I, you know, I enjoy like, I think I would work when with my director of nursing, we would talk, it felt like every hour some days, you know, <laughs> chatting on, on the phone, you know, when are you getting here? What's happening? What's going on? But to then have them try to do the CNA's role, you know, how are we, what are we doing to try to um, recruit more people to become CNAs in the state of Florida, at least? Well, the state of Florida approved the personal care attendant um, program, and that has become a permanent program, uh, you know, for the state of Florida. I do know of, you know, I, that's what I teach um, for consulate healthcare currently. Um, I do a, the, via web, Zoom webinar every Tuesday. I, I am teaching it. Currently, it's six hours of classroom. Um, now, with the um, now that it's been approved, uh, it's going to have to go to ten hours. So we have to do ten hours of classroom training, and then do six hours of hands-on competency training for them. Uh, some companies, you know, consulate. We like yesterday. Yesterday, I taught, and I had thirteen different buildings on. Um, and I probably had about um, about 18 new PCAs on that webinar um, at different buildings. And um, so then after I teach, then they do their competencies and their hands-on training. And then, you know, we put them to the floor. You know, as we're hiring them, you know, we're, we're interviewing and talking with them about, you know, as a PCA, they can work you know, four months as a PCA. After four months, you know, they, we would, you know, expectation is that they then would challenge and take the CNA test before the four months is up and become a CNA. Um, you know, it's mentoring, it's working with them. Um, uh, how many you know, people have you been able to, to get through this program? We've been doing it for a long, you know, um, over a year. 
um, I've been teaching it. <laughs> so, and, and I, at this point, I really couldn't tell you because unfortunately, you know, um, with the burnout and with, you know, the turnover, we've had quite a few pass and have stayed as CNAs. Um, the sad part of it is we may train them, pay, pay them because we're paying them to take the course. Um, and then, you know, paying them when they, they are working. Um, but they may, we may pay for them to go take the test. We do pay for them to go take the test. And then, you know, they become a CNA and then they can go down the street maybe for, for more money, you know, uh, go to another facility um, and, and receive, you know, a higher wage. So I know that, you know, I know that there's a lot of variability state to state on how um, these programs work. I know that with Florida, we um, had a certain amount allocated from the American um, Rescue Plan Act um, to us. And recently, November 4th, there was an announcement that um, um, the, the state had approved 99.5 million to a short-term financial relief for Florida nursing sitters. What does that mean? as far as education, as far as hiring, what is what would that mean to, let's say, of the facility up the road? What what will they see? Well, uh, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't, what I've heard, you know, I'm not sure how much money is really going to, you know, be um, seen in the buildings. You know, I think they'll see some, um, but again, you've got the cost of, you know, running the facility, you know, for everything. Um, it hopefully will help with wages if you're looking at, you know, uh, increasing your wages um, and, you know, hiring and education for our, um, for the staff. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I really don't um, know exactly, you know, how that's all going to come out, Diane. Yeah, and if anyone who's on the call, if you may know, because that's the one thing that worries me. I don't know, like, how do I get the funds where they most are most needed? You know, we we I want to I want to make sure that if I'm putting my mother to a facility that there's people who could take care of her or if there was um, somebody who was available, you know, I have. I have plenty of relatives who are in buildings that I used to service right now. Um, and you hear it, you feel it, you know, that uh, from the staff there, when they, they call you, they're like, we just don't have enough. What are you coming back to the building kind of thing? And there are not enough clinicians, there are not enough nurses. So, I mean, I just don't know what's going to happen. We keep trying to find out on our side. Um, and it's something that we talk about with at the the national level with other states probably on a weekly basis like how do we tap into those funds for our facilities right. especially given that we may be facing another outbreak soon um and the flu <laughs> you know <laughs> that's true that's very true i i don't know um if you know you've probably heard about the healthcare workforce coalition Mm -hmm. in the state of Florida, you know, uh, uh, Florida, Florida Health, um, Healthcare Association, um, the Hospital Association, you know, there's a coalition, um, and they have met, and, you know, they're working on 
identifying because it's not just, you know, long-term care. Um, it is, you know, hospitals, um, home care, uh, you know, it affects all of us um, mm -hmm. in having, you know, enough staff uh, for, you know, taking care of our, our residents and our patients. Um, and so, you know, I'm really watching and listening to, you know, what is being presented and identified, you know, from them, um, because it is, you know, everyone that's involved. Well, I tell you, um, I make it, people may think it's a joke, but it's the God have his truth. The infrastructure, post-acute long-term care infrastructure does keep me up at night. <laughs> I usually wake <laughs> up and I'm, I'm reading some random article at three o'clock in the morning, trying to figure out what, what do we need to do to shore up our infrastructure? How do, how do we work together? Um, you know, I think, um, to your to your point, there are a lot of partnerships and um, commissions that we've all been trying to lend our voices to um, those things beating down the Department of Health's door. You know, how do we work together with um, for the Florida Medical Directors Association? How should we be partnering with Fadana? What do you guys need from us to make sure that your voices are being heard? I think you know it's great community this platform and you know having the calls and, and communication, uh, you know, to, to know what's going on and, you know, um, be supportive. Uh, you know, like I say, with this, with the Healthcare Workforce Coalition, you know, we really um, need to, you know, communicate with them, um, you know, to listen to what they're identifying, but to also, you know, speak to them, you know, uh, and talk with them about, you know, uh, what we're- And now, a word from our sponsor, U.S. Post-Acute Care. Let's talk for a minute about goals of care conversations. Now more than ever, post-acute clinicians should initiate these discussions with their patients. At U.S. Post-Acute Care, our clinical team is committed to regular goals of care conversations with each seriously ill patient. We help our patients to think through their goals and express what's most important to them. Now we can develop a care plan that aligns with their goals and their values. Using a technique first developed by Ariadne Labs, these structured conversations have shown meaningful improvements in the quality, cost, and effectiveness of care. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Kevin Henning, is highly committed to making the goals of care conversation a foundation of effective care for our clinical team. At US Post-Acute Care, that's what we think. Now we'd like to know what you think. You can reach us at uspostacutecare.com or on LinkedIn, and Dr. Henning will be happy to respond. Thanks for listening. So at this time, I would ask you to take yourself off mute. You could ask Susie anything. <laughs> anything <laughs> too, but we definitely want to hear if you have any experiences that you want to share, um, anything that's happening in your facilities, please um, let's hear about it. Let's see how we can talk through it and what we can do to help each other out. Thank you, Susie, for sharing. Um, um, as I stated earlier on, I am the corporate nurse for Royal Meridian, and we do have like five facility, facilities under our umbrella, and we are experiencing the exact same thing that you said. 
Um, I echo every sentiment. Uh, the ONs on the floor, everything is the exact same scenario. So they are leaving and we are training and I'm the one who teaches the PCA class. And evidently, once they become and next door is offering them more money and they leave. And, and so what are we gonna do? They're free to go. And so we watch that, we, we train people, we take new nurses. And as soon as they get more opportunity, they leave. Um, it's their market. They, they name their price. Uh, they are overbearing. They're driving the DONs uh, crazy. Uh, and and, and I, I don't like using that terms, but that's really what's going on. They, they, they make their decision as to when they're gonna work, which cart they're going to work. They do not want to go to a different unit. And if they have to go, they'll complete that shift and the next shift, they just don't show up. Uh, this weekend, one building lost two nurses. Now you can imagine we're losing when we don't even have. Right now, I'm looking at an email where one facility is needing 33 shifts to be covered this weekend. And as Susie stated, agency do not have any to give. And our staff left to go work for agency for more money. When I visit the facilities, they ask me for, you have CNA, you have uh, LPN asking you, they fix their lips to ask you for $35 an hour, okay? And so where is the money and to be able to pay? So what we've been doing is that we give gift cards, we increase, we give a temporary increase in their pay rate. Uh, it's temporary because we, we won't be able to survive if we're paying CNA $17 and then we're paying LPN $35, we're paying RN 40 plus, we won't be able to survive. So we're doing it you know, we had them sign something that this is a temporary movement. And then to try to attract traction, new staff, they're telling us, we say, okay, today RN, new RN, okay, we're gonna pay you 30, let's say $31, but because we have this temporary wage, we'll give you 38. And they say, no, you need to give me at minimum 35 for me to even come on board. So while I'm going to participate in this temporary rate, but when you take it away, I want my base to be 35. So it's very, very hard. I mean, the dealings are, I'm basically in their building as much as I can to provide emotional support, do whatever I can for them. And the visitation that opened up, of course, everybody under the sun had to update their policies. And I can tell you, I was in one building yesterday, the families, everybody's already coming through. And so what it's doing for is that it's creating chaos, mayhem, because you don't even have the staff to monitor those visits, really. It's just, I'm not understanding what is really happening. Too many changes too soon. Then you have HR trying to deal with this vaccine mandate. Evidently, uh, we pushed that toolkit. I call it a toolkit because in there, it has a letter after we approve you. It has the policy. It has the appendix for the vendors, the letters for the staff. Uh, also, we gave um, the, the exceptions, whether it's going to be medical or uh, religious, and so, and we saw a couple of that. I know, Susie, you said you didn't hear, you didn't see anything come up for the religious, but we did see a couple of those. Um, 
we saw that came through and we have to honor that and then give them testing. And then there's the union, the union wants a meeting. It's chaos. It's like your time that you need to at least facilitate, like care for those patients at the bedside. You got to deal with the nuances that are coming places. If you, as you're getting the clinicians in the building, if if I'm the PA, the nurse practitioner, the attending or the medical director, how do we support you with, you know, maybe education? What, what do we need to do to, to help bring emotional health into the building? What, what can we partner on with you? You said it. Um, you said it. I think that it starts with our medical director. I actually had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, Dr. Sanders, uh, at FMC. <laughs> and we bonded. And I was trying to get you out in one of our buildings. So, okay. Uh, at with, uh, with Wildwood. So, anyway. Uh, yes. So, it starts with, number one, with our, our medical director, right? So, our medical director, if they can get more involved in that training and helping the staff deal cope with what Susie stated with the burnout and also a feeling to help them because the DON, uh, there's so much is expecting of her or, or, or him to do and there's almost no time, there's really no time left to, um, you know, to uh, foster that relationship, to let them know that, listen, we care, we understand, I'm right there with you in the trenches, I understand what you're going through. Sometimes the DON may not have that time to do that. So that's where our medical director, the nurse practitioner that comes to the facility would give us that opportunity to talk to the staff and, and let them know that, you know, um, the, you know, we're here with you, or we understand what you're going through, uh, what can we do for you to alleviate that so that they don't walk out because what I'm hearing, what we're hearing really is that they feel underestimated. They're looking for that um, recognition on a daily basis. It's almost like you can't ask them to do anything extra. Um, I know you asked this question earlier on. We had to twice stop admission because we didn't have staff. And we We've, yeah, and we've put ourselves in Seth Moratorium twice and because we didn't meet the numbers. And, and ACA still came through on complaints and, and still tagged. So it's a lot. And that's why the DONs don't want to be DONs anymore. So I've had two DONs quit on me. So, you know, I had to go in there and, and, be, and be whatever I needed to, to, to be to get us through. So it's very, very difficult. With the mandate, vaccine mandate, um, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's, it, it, it encompasses all the healthcare fields. So really, I don't see us losing someone for somebody else. I don't see that because next door it is the same requirement. So think, think uh, we thank uh, Florida um, Healthcare Association for that. Um, so, so that's good. That's comforting. And um, so we have that to deal with. And now we're dealing with the visitors that are coming through. Um, and I'm going to tell you, we have ad out there. And we don't have traction. We have one facility in Stewart. And we can call it desolate. We don't have traction. And um, I mean, weeks. We don't have anybody come through. Just maybe this week, we start seeing small traction in nurses. CNAs are nowhere to be found. Mm. We had a question. Dollars. 
We had a question that came through the, the chat from Suzanne. As a manufacturer, what can we do to assist the facilities? Um, what can you do? Yeah. They, you know, they can be, you know, supportive, um, you know, in education. And, and I know that, um, you know, the staff, like um, Nerva was saying, the staff need, we need to show appreciation. We need to, you know, um, thank them. You know, it's a thankless job, but we need to thank them every day. Um, and uh, medical directors and nurse practitioners, you know, when they come in, you know, to, to be pleasant, to be positive, uh, you know, to uh, not be in a hurry, you know, and rushing the staff. Um, and the same way, you know, with the vendors, you know, if you're, you have a facility that is utilizing your product, you know, to, um, to be there for them, offer the education, um, you know, uh, to support them. Uh, sometimes, you know, the directors and nurses feel like they're just out there and, um, you know, they also need to ha have that support. Uh, and that's, you know, what like the re corporate nurses, regional nurses, you know, whoever um, were there to support and, you know, to be um, for them and to help them. Well, I will say that I, in, in the course of my career, I've learned so much from the CNAs who were doing bedside care, the, the nurses at the unit, the nurses passing the medication and the director of nursing, you know, so much. And whatever I know as an organization, whatever we could do to, to make sure that we're there for, to help educate staff and educate um, the facilities, we're, we're ready to do it. We have um, been able to stand up a, um, a vaccine confidence, um, staff vaccine confidence initiative. So we have, not only do we have videos that are available, um, but if you need someone to come into a building, we have different, different um, clinicians standing by to do it. You know, if you haven't seen the, um, a video that Dr. Hawk um, did, I'll ask Ian and um, Shane to push it out again <laughs> because he, he wants to just talk to everyone. So we, we really want to do it because the impact, you know, if, if it's not for our nurses taking care of our residents in these buildings, this is their home. And that's what I think a lot of people, when you see reports in the media and you see, and I'm, I'm gonna tear up, sorry. When you see things coming through the media and, and those news stories breaking, they forget that this is that person's home. And the people who are there serving on the front lines, those directors of nurses who are willing to work any job in that building, they're essential. And they're doing something that is just heroic. And we need to always support that. So I thank you. And I thank you. I'm a, I'm a mess now. So I thank you all. <laughs> um, you know, if you want any information on our vaccine confidence initiative, please um, contact us. If you want any information on our clinical leveraging um, clinical staff engagement program, which we do have, um, please um, um, contact us and whatever we need to do, 
to help support the directors of nursing, support Fadana, FHCA, let us know and we will be there. Thank you. Thank you all. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. References for this podcast and links to previous recordings can be found at paltc.org slash journal club.